What a way to start a day. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Rescue us from our captivity. Deliver us in our mourning that we will rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. That's how we're starting this morning. That's how we are moving through Advent season. That's what Advent means. And that's what this series is all about, is to highlight the coming of Christ in such a way that we are encouraged and, and, and ready for the second coming of Christ. And so we want to make sure that that's in place here at Veritas Community Church, and that's what we celebrate on Advent. Advent is the coming of the Lord, the advent, the arrival of the Christ. And so today, what we're going to do is continue on in this series. Pastor Garrison started up this series with Jesus came to, and then fill in the blank. And there's been a few messages so far. He has come to fulfill the law. He has come to seek and save the lost. So on and so forth. This passage, however, that we're going to be looking at in Luke chapter 7 is a little bit different. It's a little bit different because it doesn't have the, the two which introduces a purpose clause. This isn't essentially why did Jesus come that advent, that first coming. This rather is a little bit different. Think of it as a why. Why did Jesus come? Or I should say how because this is more methodology. How did he do that? And so when Pastor Garrison gave me this passage, I didn't quite know what to do with it because it says Jesus came eating and drinking. What would you do with that? I mean, Jesus came eating and drinking. But the more I spent time with that and the more I looked at Luke and watching him eat and drink, all through the gospel, one of the scholars said, follow Jesus in, in the gospel of Luke and you'll see him moving towards a meal or sitting down at a meal or leaving a meal. He just eats and drinks all the time through the gospel of Luke. And so now in this passage here, I wanted to penetrate into how Jesus came eating and drinking, and what does that mean for, for Veritas? And so if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 7, verses 28 through 50, and we see Jesus coming, and it marks something. It, it, it marks a, a watershed, a, a turning point in human history. He came, in other words, to inaugurate the kingdom. Jesus, the Son of Man, came to earth on mission. And his mission was a kingdom mission. He was focusing on making and maturing disciples. Now this kingdom mission finds its daily life in an inclusive table 
fellowship that anticipates the future kingdom. Jesus is known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And his ordinary practice of eating and drinking, we'll think of that as table fellowship or table friendship, is not simply symbolic of the future kingdom, but brings the future kingdom into the present in such a way that it increases our hope for future kingdom. This morning's message is entitled, Eating and Drinking, and it's talking mainly about Jesus on this mission and demonstrates how he carries out this mission. This demonstration of kingdom mission is more deeply and practically committed to the deeds of compassion and social engagement than traditional fundamentalist churches of today, and more deeply and practically committed to evangelism and conversion than traditional liberal churches of today. It's a philosophy of ministry that the Apostle Paul, when he looked back on Jesus and and was schooled in Jesus' theology and carried on his ministry, moving the church abroad, summarized it in 1 Corinthians. He summarized it in 1 Corinthians in order to give the Corinthian church and in order to give Veritas Community Church a paradigm for ministry. He said, so, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Greeks to the Jews or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Follow me as I follow Christ. Today what we're going to do is look at Jesus' ministry with with a banner of eating and drinking to see how he moved kingdom mission forward. So the big idea that I would for you to remember, write it down, think about, is Jesus shows the church a method for kingdom mission. Jesus shows the church a method for kingdom mission, and in it we're going to see three aspects of how this mission moves forward. So if you have your Bibles, please open them and stand with me at the reading of God's Word. We'll pick up the teaching in verse 28, and we'll conclude in verse 50. I tell you, verse 28 of Luke chapter 7, Among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Well, when all the people heard this, and even the tax collectors, they declared God just, his way is right, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance, and we sang a dirge for you, and you did not weep. 
For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he's a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to ask you. He said, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when, he could, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, Well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. You've judged correctly, he said. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she's loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we see here that Jesus shows the church a method for kingdom mission. And the way we see this is we're focusing on one phrase, one phrase that shows how he did this, eating and drinking. And within this phrase here, we're going to see a few other phrases that come from the Pharisee who rejected the purpose of God in their lives. And out of that unbelief, they looked at Jesus' activities, eating and drinking, and they concluded erroneously. They were totally wrong, and yet somehow, some way, they were getting something right. And so I just want to grab these phrases for us to give you these three points of reference to how he came so that we can see more clearly what Jesus is giving us for kingdom mission. The first one is found right when um, it says, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. You see that in verse 34? And you say, so that's the Pharisee, the unbeliever, who's rejecting the purpose of God, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of sinners. So he is looking at Jesus' activity 
of eating and drinking, and he's concluding, he's a friend of sinners and those dastardly people called tax collectors. Those are the people who would come to you and say, you owe us 35 denarii, and you would huff and say, that's a lot. Well, it's increasing a little bit because of the Greco-Roman infrastructure. It needs a lot to, to work on here, and so you need to give us this money. And so they would collect those taxes, and then they would dig into it and put quite a bit in their pockets, and people knew that. And so these are not favorable in society. And, of course, the sinners, we just saw one of them, the prostitute. And so this is the kind of people that Jesus is sitting down at a table and eating and drinking. And eating and drinking, these are, are feasts that he has for these, these friends of his. Rich food, well-aged wine, and he's, he's embracing these people. And he's, he's welcoming these people. And he's enjoying these people. And there's, there's sharing, there's caring, there's listening to these people. And these people are flocking to him. And we see here that he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now one thing I want to point out here with this eating and drinking is that not only was it symbolic of the future kingdom, it, it, it was a foretaste of the future kingdom. The future kingdom is when Jesus comes back and consummates his promise, fully, utterly, completely, where new heavens and new earth are here, where all sin is removed, all death is removed, and we are at a feast, and we are banqueting, and we are lavished with his love and his grace. You see that in chapter 14 of Luke, that, that there's a parable of a wedding feast and then a great banquet. And so we're to think eating and drinking signifies and even enacts something in the future. Certainly it's for social interaction. Certainly it's for closeness. Certainly it's to get to know one another and to befriend one another. But moreover, it, it, it points people outward to the future that has broken into the present and given us a, a whiff of something to come, a taste of something to come. And Jesus is teaching this as he's seated with these friends. And the Pharisees thought that he was a sinner in doing so. This is very derogatory what they're saying, and yet you see in, in, in the latter part of chapter 7, he is a friend of sinners. Fellowship, closeness, relationship. So the first point I want to make out of this is Jesus shows the church a method for kingdom mission, and this mission is forged within community. We at Veritas are to engage and embrace and befriend sinners, those that don't know Jesus as their Savior. And the context in which that occurs best is within community. So we are, are befriending, we are creating these friendships, and then we're bridging them over to community, like Sunday morning gatherings, like 
city group gatherings, like our own homes gatherings. Now, I understand that this is an unprecedented time of pandemic, and COVID has pumped the brakes on so much in our lives. I understand that. But, but the, the, the intent here is, is moving towards sinners, so much so that an unbelieving sinner would say about you, she's my friend. He's my friend. And there's a, a relationship there, an engagement with that person. You see? That's Jesus. That's the methodology that he used. It's, it's, it's within a community, and he's moving them into this kingdom community, and he's doing it out of friendship. Do sinners who aren't yet saved say about you, he's my friend, she's my friend? Think about different ways you do that, can do that, will do that. Even if you can't cook a meal and have someone over to the house yet, it's coming. <laughs> I do pray. It's coming. So the first point there that I wanted to make is kingdom mission here at Veritas Community is to be forged within community. We are to hear sinners look at us and say, that's my friend. But then as we move on in this passage, we see something else. The, the, the Pharisee, incidentally, the Pharisee is an expert in the Old Testament. The lawyer that's referring to an expert of the Old Testament. These people knew the Old Testament Scripture inside out, upside down. They knew it thoroughly. They were saturated in it. They, they knew the characters in the Old Testament. They knew the, the, the storyline of the Old Testament. They knew all the passages. In fact, they probably had memorized the whole Old Testament. These are the people, the pious ones, the pure ones, the lofty, the, the stay away from the contaminated ones who will contaminate you if you get close to them. These are the ones who self-righteously stayed away from these types of people, not Jesus. And so he moved in close and close. And now you see in this passage that they looked at him and said, he is a drunkard and a glutton. Now that's a serious indictment, wouldn't you say, of the Son of Man, the second member of the Trinity, Jesus who came to earth on mission, perfect, utterly sinless, going through this morass of brokenness and sinfulness. Never once did he sin. He was sinless. And they're charging him with this, that's blasphemous. That's sacrilegious. It's awful. But it gets even worse. So you see, the Pharisees understood the Old Testament so much so that they could take a little phrase from the Old Testament that most of us would not recognize. And they would, they would say it out there and it would echo an Old Testament passage that would put the, the listener into an Old Testament passage to live in that lesson or that episode or so on and so forth. And the people of the Pharisees, when they would 
put out one of these phrases or these words or whatnot to signify some great big teaching in the Old Testament, that in-group knew what they were saying. Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus knew exactly what they were saying. And it wasn't just, you sinner, which would be worse enough. They went all the way. Keep your finger in Luke 7 and come back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21 is in the mind of the Pharisee when he was looking at Jesus eating and drinking. That's how he's moving in the kingdom and how he's going to advance the kingdom. It's his paradigm. It's his model for the church. And these prigs and prudes looked at him and called him a glutton and a drunkard. Now, if you're at Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 and following, listen to this. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. You shall purge the evil from your midst. And all Israel will hear and fear. Do you hear what they're saying? Here is King Jesus, the only innocent one, the only obedient Israelite, being charged as the disobedient Israelite, the disobedient son. And so now, they're charging him with a high crime. that needs to be judged by death. That's what they're saying about him. And he knows it. I can almost see him gently smiling in his heart. You who are getting it totally wrong, a friend of sinners and tax collectors and a glutton and a drunkard, you're charging me with being a sinner and you're charging me with being disobedient to my father's voice and I'm totally different than that, 100%. And yet, you're getting pretty close. For you see, I am moving myself through Luke to chapter 23, and you're going to stretch out my arms, and you are piously, righteously obligated to kill me. And you're going to kill me. Because my father foreordained that this is going to happen for my friends, the sinners. As we listen to that, and as we move through the gospel story, and we see it enacted, and we see it happen, we've got to come to terms with this methodology of being treated like this, eating and drinking, and thinking about what that actually means, and say, not only 
is mission, is kingdom mission forged within community and getting friends, but we're now also focusing on the cross. In this kingdom mission that's giving forth here for Veritas, we're not just to be friends, we're not just to be kind, we're not just to be sharing food or sharing gifts or, or befriending people. We certainly do that. And we have actual friends who are sinners and we speak with clarity and preciseness and cogency into our friends' lives, the cross and what the gospel is all about. Jesus did that. His followers of the first century did that. And we have received this mission to move forward, socially engaged, speaking the gospel clearly. This is the method of moving the mission forward here at Veritas. Taking the extremes, if you will, and moving them together into a third way, a gospel way, a Christ way. Following Jesus, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God and move in with the gospel story with clarity and call to repentance. That's the mission here at Veritas. But then, as we look at this methodology of eating and drinking, getting close to sinners and befriending sinners and having these kind of friends and then speaking the truth in love and welcoming them into congregations and, and, and gatherings and homes where they can see relationships and, and, and smell good food and, and hear good conversations and hear the gospel. That's two-thirds of what he's given us here. The third and final way or aspect of kingdom mission is not only forged in community, not only focused on the cross, but now it's forwarded on through the commission. Now, where do I get this in this story here? So one of my favorite stories of all time in the Bible is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I love this story. It says so much about the gospel, so much about Jesus, so much about me, so much about life. Here we see a woman of the city. She is a prostitute. And the characters in this scene are prigs and prudes on the one hand and prostitutes on the other hand. And you got to wonder who's kind of pressing in on Jesus, who's rejecting, who's receiving. And so now let's look at the prostitute. She has lifestyle of sin. It even says your sins are many. It even puts it in the present tense. I wonder from where she came to get to this meal. But she heard the reports of Jesus. She knew who Jesus was, at least in part. And then the Bible says your faith has saved you. So at some point, there was a miracle that happened in this lady's life. And, and her heart changed from a stone into a fleshly heart and a, and a, 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 a trusting heart. And, he, and she wanted to come close to Jesus. Her, her sins 
broke her into humility, but they didn't crush her into disparity. She knew the, the reports that were going around in the land, and she wanted to find him and wanted to get really close to him. I mean really, really close to him. And so she took her hair down, which was totally inappropriate. This is prostitute-like. And she got down on her knees, and she touched the Son of Man, the second member of the Trinity. And, and not only touched, but she was crying. She was weeping. Not just little thimblefuls of water, but it's almost like a bucket of water on his feet. And she was wiping his feet and anointing his feet and kissing his feet over and over and over again having no concerns whatsoever about this self-righteous group condescendingly looking at her in disdain and saying, go to hell. Jesus knew her. Pharisee didn't. And he allowed this to happen. This is a woman who was caught up in the gospel. This is the woman who was caught by Jesus. This is a woman who was trans from darkness into light. This is the woman that he's talking about. Sinners, Jesus is my friend. And I'm going to express that extravagantly in front of anyone who's looking because I love him this much. It's a gorgeous picture of conversion. And now I want you to look at something. He looks at her and he says, your faith has saved you. And now here's the command. Go in peace. He's not just dismissing her. He's not just saying this is the end of our time here. You, you need to go home. He's saying go in peace. And so the reason why I say commissioned Think Great Commission. Think, how is Veritas going to move this mission forward? Having meals and talking about the gospel, great. But moving it forward, pursuing people, getting out and, and, and making it happen, is this. In our passage, it says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. The Son of Man is an echo back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. You can write that down and look at this scene where the Ancient of Days, the King of Kings, Yahweh Himself, Father God is there, and now there's this royal presentation of a Son of Man right in front of Him. And the Ancient of Days says, I grant you authority over all. You have dominion over all. Go. It almost sounds like Matthew 28, 18 through 20, doesn't it? All authority and power has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples among all nations. Go. Furthermore, when you look at Luke and you go into chapter 10, he is commissioning 72 two-by-two two people out. And what's their mission? Notice that they go eating and drinking. It's pretty interesting. And they go looking for a house of peace. 
And so they go to these houses and say, peace be with you, or, or an extension of peace. And if they found, and here it is, sons and daughters of peace, then that, that blessing, that, that ministry lands on them and it stays with them. And then they stay and they eat and drink and so forth. If it doesn't, then they go on. Go in peace. This is a daughter of peace who is to, to go on mission looking for the lost elect. Giving out this peace message, this gospel message. And when you find a lost elect, they're going to come alive. Immediately or ultimately. And that's what is happening in chapter 10. That's what's happening in chapter 7 with this go in peace. Yes, your conscience is at peace. Yes, you have less anxiety. Yes, you're not going to be going into prostitution anymore. Yes, you're going to be in a discipleship program somehow, some way, and you're going to get better. But it's way more than that. Now we've got these people who are born from above with faith and now being commissioned to go out. And that is the paradigm for Veritas Community Church. We, beloved, are on this kingdom mission. And the kingdom mission is an inclusive table fellowship. It's not exclusive. We don't welcome people to the table based on sameness. It's, it's a highly diversified people who are coming to the table. And we are to welcome, we are to befriend, we are to serve, we are to give, we are to show little glimpses of the future kingdom that it has penetrated and, and, and crashed into the present and moving us forward to the, to the future kingdom. And we are to go. That's what Psalm 67 was all about a couple weeks ago. So that's the message. It's a model. It's a method. It's a paradigm for Veritas. But how do you apply that? This is where we have to think carefully and creatively on how to eat and drink. The, the manner with which we move out in mission. What does that look like? Getting together with your city group and talking about these things is a great start getting together with your spouse, getting together with your friends, and thinking carefully and strategically and risk-takingly on how to penetrate enemy territory with forged in community, focused on the cross, and then forwarded out in the Great Commission. And so to do that, I just thought, well, I don't know how to apply it in a message in 30 minutes might have been longer than 30, I don't know. So I came up with three words. These are pegs on which you can hang your creative, careful thought process on how to develop this. There are action steps. The first one is quite simple. Befriend. Do you have a friend who is a sinner, an unbeliever, in your life. One that if I were to go and interview this person would say, Garen is my friend. I like Garen. What do you like about Garen? 
And then they would tell me, I treat him as a friend. Libby is my friend. Nick is my friend. Just on and on. They are my friends. Befriend someone. Care for someone. Pray for someone. Share with someone. Serve someone. And listen to what they do. And watch how they want to hang around you. Not only are we to befriend, but we are to bespeak. An archaic word for talk. (laughs) Talk. So we serve people. We love people. And now there's this bridge. There's this connection. Dan's my friend. I'm going to step out on that bridge and see if it will bear the weight of the cross and start talking about Jesus, start talking about the gospel, start talking about different aspects, call someone to repentance, give them invitations to come and see and savor and look at things and bespeak, talk, speak the gospel into your friends' lives. And lastly, begin. Don't just hear a message like this. Don't just go through Advent season. Don't go through Christmas and say, wow, I'm glad I'm blessed. Merely, but go to your neighbors. Go into your neighborhoods. Go into the byways and streets. Go and befriend, bespeak, and get the gospel into people's lives. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you very much for Jesus. I want to thank you very much for our Messiah. Thank you very much for how he came. And he came in such a way to woo us and win us over. I thank you very much that he went to the cross. He didn't just model a good life for me to follow. He went to the cross so that I don't have to bear the wrath of God. He went to the cross to stand in the way of the judgment due our sins. And he went to the cross to bring us into death so that he could bring us out of death into life. What a gospel reality. The good news of great joy, whether it's Christmas time or not. Oh, may it so grip our hearts and grasp our vision that we will go and show other people likewise. And so we look to you for this kind of work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we look to you with great anticipation that we can move out by faith, and we look to you with greater anticipation of the future kingdom coming closer and closer until sin and sickness and Satan and sorrow are all done and the new heavens and new earth are here to stay. We love you. We worship you. We thank you for the morning. In Christ's name, amen.